We will now have a reading from God's word. Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see to, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the elders here at Trailhead, and it's, again, my, my privilege uh, to be able to, to share with you this morning as we look at this passage we're continuing our sermon series this summer over uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so we come here to chapter 7, and as we've been looking through this, it starts to feel, I think at a certain point, like if you've been following along, if you've been listening to these sermons, or even if you just go back and read chapters 5 and 6, it starts to feel like Jesus is just giving us a whole bunch of rules. Rules on top of rules on top of rules. You should do this, and you should do this, and you shouldn't be doing this. I want to ask you this morning, as we look into this passage, um, I want to ask you to look at this maybe a little bit differently. What if, what if we looked at Jesus' words in this sermon, not just as commands of what we should do and what we shouldn't do? Obviously, he is telling us some things to do and things not to do, but what if we saw it as more than that? What if it wasn't just what we should and shouldn't do? What if what Jesus is giving us in this sermon, is a vision of what life is like in the kingdom of God. We've talked about the kingdom of God. Jesus uses that phrase, the kingdom of, of heaven or the kingdom of God, uh, throughout the sermon, throughout the New Testament. He uses that, that phrase. The kingdom of God simply means wherever God is king. It's wherever God has rule and authority. Right now, we see it presently today Jesus has authority in the hearts of his followers. God rules within our hearts if we believe in him, if we trust in him, if we're following him. He has authority in us. In the future, we will see God's kingdom come to fruition throughout the entire world. And he'll restore what, was, what has been broken. He'll put right everything that's wrong. And so when we read this sermon from Jesus, what if... We read this as what it looks like when God has control and God has the rule in our lives and in the future someday in the entire world. And if we do that, and if we look at what Jesus is saying, imagine what this life would look like. Imagine a life, if we go back through everything Jesus has said up to this point, where anger is not this oppressive force in our lives, where we don't live in constant need of retaliation, always seeking revenge. What if, what if imagine a life where there's, there's no unfaithfulness. Nobody ever breaks their vows. When they say they're going to do something, they do it. Imagine a life where there's no need to impress other people, where you just live and do what is right, and you don't worry what other people think of you. Imagine a life, as Brian talked about last week, 
where there's no anxiety. Imagine a life where you don't worry. Imagine a life, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, where there's no greed. No constant stress about our material status. Imagine a life, we're going to say this morning, where you never feel like you're being judged by anyone. Imagine what that life would be like. And then look at what Jesus is saying here today and and what he's saying throughout this entire sermon. Not as Jesus saying, you better do this or else. You better shape up. Here's my standard and here's my rules and you better live up to the standard or else. Imagine instead, as you read this, hear Jesus saying, this is possible. This could be your reality. We have a hope If we trust in Jesus, and if we trust in what he has done for us, we have a hope that that is what our future permanent reality will be like. That all these things that seem so impossible to us today, one day will be just natural. Because all of that is the way God created the world to function. We broke it. It's broken. But through Jesus, he is restoring the world to the way it's supposed to be. And one day, what we read here, and what seems to us like impossible, will be true. But there's more to it than that. And this is what's really amazing and and where I think this can be really helpful to us. Yes, there's a hope for this as a permanent future reality. We who are believers in Jesus also have a hope for this progressively becoming more and more real in our own lives as we follow Jesus' teaching. Now, today, as we trust in Jesus' love, as we trust in his promises, as we submit more and more to his authority in our lives, his kingdom becomes more and more real in us, in our hearts And we, as believers together, as a community, as as a church, as we all trust more and more in His grace and His mercy and His promises to us, then we, as a church, as a community, more and more progressively become more like this description of the kingdom of God. Will we ever fully in this life experience a full total complete perfection absolutely not we still live in two kingdoms at the same time and in our hearts there's constantly a battle between those two kingdoms there's there's a constant battle for authority we've used that word a lot as we've looked at this sermon and there's a constant battle between Christ's authority and Christ's kingdom and our own self-authority and our own self-rule. But the more we follow what Jesus teaches, the more we submit to his authority, the more our lives can be transformed to look more and more like this vision of God's kingdom. This battle that I'm talking about is really, really obvious to see in these verses at the beginning of of chapter 7 that we're looking at this morning. 
Because we're talking about judgment. And everybody hates to be judged. Don't you? You hate it. You hate the feeling of other people looking at you and making a determination about you. And, okay, look, everybody hates to be judged negatively. I don't think most people dislike being judged positively, right? When people come along and say, hey, you're awesome, you're like, don't judge me. But, but the idea that people are looking at you and condemning you, the idea that people are, are negatively forming opinions about your behavior, your attitudes, your beliefs, we all hate that. And yet, we all do it. Right? We hate ju- being judged, but we all judge. Why do we do that? If, if there's something that to us is so repugnant, then why is it something we so willingly engage in? I think, I think part of it probably comes down to the fact that most of us, and of course, I'm, I'm including myself when I say this, um, and just cards on the table, this is a rough um, passage for me this week. And, and I think if we're all honest, this is a rough passage for all of us. Because we, this is us, okay? Most of us, I think, believe that the reason we continue to judge is because our judgments are justified. We're right. Other people shouldn't be judging us because they're wrong. We should be okay to judge other people because we're correct. And, and to be clear, and to be fair, the scriptures talk about two different kinds of judgment. And when we just say the word judgment, it's kind of a blanket word that covers a whole bunch of things. And Jesus isn't necessarily saying that all judgment by itself is bad. In fact, if you look at verse 6, even in this very passage, in verse 6 where he says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus is talking in verse 6 about a kind of judgment, a kind of determination about when people should and shouldn't, when we should and shouldn't have certain interactions with people who are hostile towards the gospel. Okay, Unless, unless you look at verse 6 and think he's literally talking about animals, um, the metaphor there is pretty clearly Jesus saying, sometimes you have to make a determination as a believer that there are some people that you should avoid having interactions with beyond a certain point. So Jesus is saying there are sometimes when there's a certain kind of judging that's good. But then clearly, the, the rest of the passage this morning, starting in verse 1 where he says, judge not that you be not judged, there's a kind of judging that's bad. So how do we know the difference? I mean, how do you know if you're good judging or bad judging? So I spent a lot of time, did a lot of research this week, and I think I've distilled it down into a very helpful description of the difference um, between good judging and bad judging. I hope this is a handy way for you to determine when you make a judgment whether you're doing good judging or bad judging. Good judging is when you judge other people. Bad judging is when other people judge you. I mean, okay, that's not actually in Scripture. Just I have to be clear that I say that. But this really is the standard by which most of us live our lives, right? When other people judge us, that's bad, and they should not be doing that. But when we look at other people, we think we know how to judge them. We think our judgments are appropriate. Jesus' main point today 
And it's the point that all of us need to hear. We can be blinded by our own perception of our moral superiority. Now, probably none of us would use that language to describe ourselves, right? None of us would say, I'm morally superior to anybody. But, I think that's part of the problem. We are very quick to diminish our own sins. We are very eager to enlarge the sins of others. And that's what, that, that's what leads us to judge. Here's how he says it in verse 2. With the, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do we apply the same standard to our own lives that we apply to the lives of others? So this quote, and this was in the email this week, um, it's in the bulletin, but I want to share this quote. This is from an author named Malcolm Gladwell. He says this, We think we can easily see into the hearts of others based on the flimsiest of clues. We jump at the chance to judge strangers. But we would never do that to ourselves, of course. We are nuanced and complex and enigmatic. But the stranger is easy. Now, he's talking specifically about the judgments we make in interactions with people we don't know. I think what he's saying here is true, and this is what Jesus is talking about here, with everybody. We look at other people, and we know, we're convinced in our hearts that we know exactly what they're doing, why they're doing it. But when other people look at us, we understand within ourselves why we do what we do, and it's so much more complex. The way he says it, we're nuanced, we're enigmatic. Nobody can judge us because they don't know what's going on inside our own hearts. But when we look at other people, we are so sure we know exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it. Right? We have that interaction when, when we pass somebody on the street and, and they look kind of grumpy or they say something that's rude, and, and we know exactly why they said that. We know what a jerk they are. But when we're having a really bad day, and there's just some stuff going on, we really think everybody should be able to excuse us for saying the exact same thing because we know everything that led up to that moment. I judge other people, and what Jesus is talking about is, is we judge other people Not just their actions, but we judge their actions assuming we know what's in their heart and what is their motivation. And we get so offended when anybody judges us because there's no way they could ever understand our heart and our intentions. Now, is Jesus saying in verse 3, look at verse 3 again, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. The metaphor here, obviously, is that we can see problems with other people much more clearly than we see our own problems. Again, because we understand all the complexity and all the nuance and all the subtlety that really makes our sins not really sins. Right? Our sins are struggles, Other people's sins are evil. 
right? And, and, and their sins are so clear and so obvious and so right on the surface. All of ours, listen, you just have to understand there's a lot going on. And if you knew what, what I've gone through, and if you know where I've been, and if I could tell you my story, and I'm not saying any of that's not true, but why is it that all of that's true for us and it's never true for anyone else? Is Jesus saying when he says that there's a speck in our brother's eye, there's a log in our own eye, is he saying that everyone else's sins are literally less than ours? Not necessarily. The, the issue Jesus is talking about is hypocrisy. He uses that word in verse 5, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. We, we saw the word hypocrite a few weeks ago. Um, when we saw it a few weeks ago, he used it to mean somebody who, who is acting, who is putting forward an image that is not what's true on the inside. This is that different meaning for hypocrite, the one that I think most of us are more familiar with, the hypocrite who believes that there's a different standard for themselves than there is for other people. The hypocrisy that Jesus is talking about is we see our own sin as lesser. It's not that it is or it isn't. What Jesus, the point Jesus is trying to make is just our perception is flawed. And I think it's intentional that the metaphor he uses here has to do with our eyes being blocked. Because vision, because perception, as we've talked about, perception is how we see the world around us influencing what we think and what we believe, both about ourselves and about other people. Our perception is flawed because we justify our own sins, but then we see others' sins as so much worse and beyond justification. And so our goal becomes, what we want to do, we want to justify our own sin. We want to eradicate our friends' sins. The problem with that is, none of us wants to change. We see sin. And we see problems and we see conflicts. But whenever we look at conflicts, we know, I mean, we're sure, we're convinced that the conflicts are because of him, because of her. And if he would just change, if she would just change, then all my problems would probably go away. All my sins are reactionary towards her sins towards me, right? If he wouldn't treat me that way, then I wouldn't respond in this way. But we all think that. So none of us wants to change. We all just want someone else to change. We want somebody else to go first. Somebody has to go first. So what we get is kind of the aggregate of all this judgment. Because I'm judging you, you're judging me. And we get this very judgmental society. I mean, the culture we live in is judgmental, isn't it? You look at our culture, everybody is looking at each other and saying, you're wrong and I'm right. It's not just our society. It's true in our churches. It's true in our families, in our relationships. (laughs) 
We want to look at other people. This is what Jesus is saying. We want to look at other people and we want to tell them, you need to change. You are wrong. You need to fix what's wrong with you and then things will be better. Jesus is saying that we need to do the exact opposite of that. Jesus is saying that we need to go against our nature. Look at verse, start in verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? This is that, that idea. You change first. Because your sin is worse, you have to change first. You take the speck out of your eye. You deal with your sin. You, 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 you. You hypocrite, Jesus says. You hypocrite. This is harsh. It's harsh language. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Look, Jesus isn't saying we shouldn't see sin. Okay, this is important. When we talk about judgment, okay, Jesus isn't saying there is no sin. Jesus isn't saying we should excuse all sin. Jesus isn't saying we should never make judgments about whether someone is being sinful or not. He's not saying that. What he's saying very, very clearly here, not that we shouldn't see sin, he's saying we need to start by seeing our own sin first. Yeah, there is sin. Absolutely. There is sin in your family. There is sin in the church. There's sin in our culture. There's sin in our nation. Yes, there is. And it starts with you, with me. It starts with us. Jesus is saying our biggest problem with judgment is not that we don't understand when other people are sinning. The biggest problem is that we don't see our own sin clearly enough. You hypocrite, again, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's a time when we deal with, when we need to deal with the sins of other people. But the first step has to be dealing with our own sin. So here's the question. Because the, I understand. I think this, this sounds, I just said, it's harsh. It sounds condemning. It sounds harsh. And that makes sense. Look. If Jesus is saying, look at your own sin, that probably is going to feel pretty condemning, right? If you have sin, if, if you have sin in your life, if you have sin in your life, to look at that sin is going to feel condemning. So here's the question. What do you do with sin? How do you take the log out of your eye? What is Jesus saying here? What does it mean to deal with your own sin. The kind of Bible-y word for this, the churchy word, is to repent. But what, is that, what does that even mean, to repent? Because, I mean, just saying that isn't really helpful. Here's what it means to repent. Literally, the word repent means to think differently. I think maybe it's helpful to think of it as seeing differently recognize your sin for what it is. Believe that your sin, you have, look, I have, you have, we have all these 
internal excuses, constructions, reasonings, nuances, explanations. You can tell me, and I can tell you an incredible story that explains why my sin isn't really all that bad and why it's just something I need to manage, not something I need to get rid of. Right? You, You can do that. You can tell us an incredible story about how you struggle with this and why you struggle with it and all this stuff. And, and, and I'm not saying it's not true. But what Jesus is saying is we need to start seeing that sin differently. We need to start seeing our sin as something that is absolutely destroying our ability to thrive in the kingdom of God. So you see your sin differently, and repentance begins with seeing differently. But then what? Because, I mean, if you just say, yeah, my sin is really bad, so I guess I'll just live with that. That doesn't really help anything either, does it? That doesn't remove the log from your eye. It doesn't change how you see things. It, It doesn't change anything. So repentance is not just seeing your sin differently. Repentance is also giving your sin to Jesus and falling on his grace and understanding and seeing not just your sin differently but understanding what Jesus has done for you differently. Jesus saw our sin clearly. In fact, Jesus is the only person who ever lived who could truly see the sins of others differently because he had no log in his eye. He didn't have a speck in his eye. He had no sin. So Jesus is able to look at everyone and clearly see absolutely how wretched, how awful, how sinful we truly are. And how did he respond to that? When Jesus saw your sin and saw how bad your sin is, what did he do? He took your sin on himself. He took the punishment you deserve for your sin on himself. He took the punishment that he knew that we deserved. And he allowed himself to be tortured and to be killed because of how clearly he saw your sin. And because with with perfect perception, he saw that you deserved God's wrath for your sin. Out of his love for you, he decided to take that wrath on himself. When we see what Jesus did for us, and we look at the sin that led to it, We understand the depth of His grace. Then the gratitude that fills our hearts for that grace transforms us. It makes us hate our sin even more. But it also reminds us that our sin doesn't define us anymore. That we are not controlled by our sin. We don't have to keep making excuses for our sin. We can actively fight against our sin instead of trying to constantly cover it up or excuse it or hide it. We can be honest with ourselves. And we can seek to obey Christ 
knowing that he's already taken our punishment. And because of our gratitude for his grace and his forgiveness, then from that, we can go to others with the same grace. So when he says in verse 5, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. How do you take the speck out of your brother's eye? What does that mean? It means, yes, sometimes it means talking to, often it means confronting sin in others, but it means confronting it with grace. It means confronting it with the gospel. It means not going to people with a heart of time for you to change. Fix things. Because if you change, then our nation will be better. If you change, then our church will be better. If you change, then our family will be better. Instead, it's going to them and saying, I see your sin. Do you understand there is a Savior for that sin? Do you understand that you don't have to be held in chains by that sin anymore? You can be free. The word for all of this, everything that we're talking about this morning, is humility. It's what I would call a a gospel humility. The humility that comes from recognizing our own sin and our own inability to fix our sin and our desperate desperate need for a Savior to fix our sin for us. To take the punishment we deserve, to do the transformative work in our heart that we desperately need, to transform our desires so that we don't want our sin, that we want something better. And that if we grasp, if we wrap our minds around how desperately we need Jesus for all of that, and how lost we are on our own, it has a transformative effect in our hearts. Jesus is warning us in this passage. He's warning us against an arrogance. An arrogance that says, I have everything figured out. Why can't everybody else just fix themselves the way I have? In light of the gospel, Jesus says that now I can see myself and others as we truly are. And that's the same way he sees us. I, um, I believe that right now, this message is absolutely essential for our church. Jesus' message, not, not this sermon, I'm not saying me, I'm saying what Jesus is saying here is absolutely essential for us. As, um, I'm speaking as somebody who, who loves this church. I love this church. I love what this church represents. We're a church, Trailhead is a church that is ideologically pretty diverse. We have a broad range of differences of opinions about a whole lot of things here. That's extremely rare. That's extremely rare in our culture. Everything in our culture tells us that you cannot be friends with anyone who disagrees with you, let alone worship with them. There's, I, I just saw, I was reading this week, and I saw there's a recent survey that showed that over 40% of the people 
in each of America's two main political parties, so both political parties, over 40% of the people in each of those two political parties believed that the people in the other party were evil. Evil, that's the word. Not, not wrong, not I disagree with them. Over 40% believe that people who disagree with them politically are evil. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything political. I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm just saying, this is the culture we live in. It is so vastly divided. It is so, I mean, it is so split that if you disagree with someone in our culture, they're not just wrong, they're immoral. They're bad, they're evil. And, and if you disagree with me, I can't be your friend. If I disagree with you, we can't, we, we can have nothing in common. It is, it is judgment times 7,000. And, and we've said this over and over and over again, but over the last year and a half with everything that's, that's happened with, with COVID, COVID didn't cause divisions, but it sure exposed a lot of them. And it sure has exacerbated things, I think, to where Again, you talk about judgment. I mean, if you disagree with someone about things, how often have you had in your head, like, I'm going outside over the last year, and whether or not I'm wearing a mask on my face, I believe people are going to be judging me. And I'm saying this from both sides. Like, people who do wear masks and they think everybody's judging me, they think that I'm whatever. And people who aren't are like, everybody's judging me, they think that I'm whatever. And and they think that because, because, let's be honest, because they're doing this, we're doing the same thing. We're looking around and, and people who are or aren't, people who are following guidelines that we're not following or people aren't following the guidelines we are, or whatever it is, and we're judging them. Because that's what we've come to. I'm not saying it's new. It's not new. Jesus is talking about it here. Right? If Jesus is talking about it, then it was just as bad in the first century. Jesus didn't say this because, he, you know, I think 2,000 years from now this might become a problem. It's always been a problem. So the question is, how, how do we overcome it? And as a church, how do we overcome it? Most churches in America are, are just as, are, are not split. Most churches are singular, which means most churches in America have people who all think the same way. And whether that's intentional or not, that's just how they tend to group together. We have, for some reason, at Trailhead, not become that kind of church. We have people in our church who disagree with each other. So how do we as a church protect that without falling to this exact thing Jesus is talking about. And this gospel humility he's talking about is the only possible way. We can't can't just double down on our own beliefs. We can't just drive out anybody who disagrees with us. We have to humbly be willing to listen to each other. We have to humbly be willing to know each other. And we have to start, we have to start, every single one of us individually, and I'm 
Look, I mean it, starting with myself. We have to start by looking at our own sin first. If, if you believe that the biggest problem in the church or in the country, or in your family, or whatever, if you believe that the biggest problem is the other person, the other side, the other group, if that's the biggest problem, I'm begging you, listen to Jesus' words today. Not my words. Listen to Jesus' words today. In Matthew chapter 4, this is before the Sermon on the Mount, but this is Jesus' first like public Proclamation, Matthew chapter 4, we looked at this verse a couple weeks ago. Verse 17, Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. See your sin. Think differently about your sin. And then give your sin to Jesus because he's the only one who can deal with it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. With his arrival on earth, the kingdom of heaven came to earth. It's here. For those who have trusted in Him or are trusting in Him as your Savior, it's here. It's in your heart. As you submit to Him, as you submit to His authority, His kingdom rules in your life. It's here. But it's also at hand. It's still coming. It's future. There's coming a day when all of this will be set right. When all of the brokenness, when all of the disagreement, we don't, (laughs) when Jesus makes the world whole again, when we are living forever in the kingdom of heaven, we won't disagree because the truth will be so evident and we'll all see clearly. None of us will have specks or logs or anything in our eyes. We will see as the world is perfectly. But even now in this broken world, We can still see glimpses of what life is like in his kingdom. No, we're not going to see it perfectly now. But we can see hints. What if we, as a church community, can be one of those glimpses? What if we, as a church community, can overcome, not by all agreeing, but by all having the humility that even when you disagree with me, I'm not judging you, I'm loving you. What if we as a church community are so serious about our own repentance that we're overcome with humility that when we have to confront a brother or a sister who's in sin, that we do it with such a humble heart that they're just willing to hear it. Because they see God working in our own lives. What if we now can give people a vision of what the kingdom of heaven will look like? That's the invitation that Jesus is giving us. I'm going to pray and then we're going to share communion together. I am, I am so looking forward to the day when we can go back to sharing communion in the way we used to because there was a symbolic quality to that that I think is so powerful. 
where we would all have the same loaf of bread that we would take from. And we would all dip that bread into the same cup because here's what communion says. Yes, it's a symbol of Jesus' sacrifice, his death and his resurrection for us. But it's also a symbol of us together sharing in that sacrifice. And what communion is meant to represent to us is that in spite of everything that may divide us, we are united by our desperate need for that sacrifice. And that's why we call it communion. Because we are coming together and saying, we need this. So I know right now we're not there. We can't do it in that way. But as we share communion together today, I want you to think about that. That we're all sharing in the same meal together because we all desperately need that sacrifice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, as we look at your words today, I, I can't deny that it feels heavy. But I know it's for our good. I know you tell us these things because you love us. And I'm thankful. God, I'm grateful that I'm grateful that you don't let us just stay in our sin. That your desire is for our good. That you love us so much that you sacrificed everything for us. Thank you. Help us to be humble. Help us to see our own lives, our own sin clearly the way you do. And in seeing the way you do, help us to see your forgiveness and your grace and your love. And transform us by your love. And then help us together as as a church to be moved towards one another, not away from one another. To know each other, to understand each other, to love each other because of the way you've loved us. In your name I pray, amen.